Welcome to the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, and joined with me, of course, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. And we're talking a little bit, we're going to start things off with baseball. And tonight at the house across the street from where Ruth built uh, at Yankee Stadium, it'll be the final game for Alex Rodriguez, which in some regards is historic, and in the other gar- regards is somewhat tragic. And uh, Ira, I'll let you, since you just did a, a great column on it, I'll let you start things off with your thoughts on uh, the career of Alex Rodriguez. You no, know, Jim, some people would look at this as an American tragedy, but I don't, I don't think it has the elements of it because, let's face it, he did it all to himself. He doesn't have anybody to blame. Once again, we're reminded that uh, when you don't own up to your mistakes, and this was a big one, uh, you deny, 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 and then the truth ultimately comes out. Um, and I'm talking about you, Lance Armstrong, and, and everybody, uh, uh, you know, in your wake. Uh, it just makes it a lot worse. And by the numbers, first ballot Hall of Famer, of course, I believe Mr. Henderson has a Hall of Fame vote for Cooperstown. Um, and I'm sure Joe will agree with me that he goes now uh, into the trash pile uh, w- with the, you know, the Barry Bonds of the world, uh, the Clemenses. And uh, these guys are going to have to wait their turn, and we'll see if they ever get in, Joe. Well, um, that's true, Ira, and I would I would uh, give you a late-breaking development on this. Uh, I gave up, this starting this year, uh, I, I wrote to the good people at, the, uh, at Cooperstown and uh, the Baseball Writers Association and thanked them very much, but uh, I don't want to vote anymore. And... It wasn't uh, because I didn't want to have to make a moral decision on people like Alex Rodriguez, but um, I just felt I'm not around baseball day to day like a lot of people are anymore, and I felt you know that that was should be the province of of, of those folks. But anyway, uh, I can make a judgment on a Rob because I saw him play, uh, covered baseball during much of his career, and numbers-wise, no-brainer. But you get into that whole gray area of, well, is it um, was it real or was it artificial or what was it? Had I, if I still had a vote, I would be inclined to vote for him, and here is why. I came to the conclusion a number of years ago um, that I can't possibly know who used what and when they used it, and how much they used it back in the steroid era. Now, I could make an educated guess. Mark McGuire had a four-year homer spike that was like basically double what he was averaging. And uh, But a guy like Barry Bonds did not, except for uh, a couple of years where he went berserk. Uh, Most of his production stayed at a very high level, and he was arguably a Hall of Famer, before he started using. So I started arguing with myself about that, as was Roger Clemens, by the way. He had won Cy Young's before the whole uh, issue of steroids came up. So I finally just said, all right, it's going to be an individ- down to an individual case. I'm not going to throw a blanket over all the steroid users. And I had my own formula for deciding who should get a vote and who shouldn't. I did not vote for Sammy Sosa because I really could tell by the numbers that his that the juice put him where he uh, was. And 
uh, with A-Rod, I don't think that's what happened. I, I think he would have had a Hall of Fame career anyway. So I'm glad I don't have to make that call, but, but if I did, I would probably put an X by his name. Jim, I respect that, Jim, but uh, I would say to Joe, uh, in the case of uh, Mr. Rodriguez, Jim, uh, there's no mystery. Uh, there's no guessing game because uh, from his own uh, pursed lips uh, came the revelation that, uh, yes, he cheated the game. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, and Joe's point is valid, and I believe it extends to Bonds and Clements, uh, Hall of Fame players before they uh, ever juiced. Uh, that's a tough one. But as far as not knowing whether Rodriguez cheated or not, Jim, uh, I think we're beyond that. Well, I think that, you know, at this juncture, I don't know that – do we do we see a situation where the Hall of Fame – you know, you had the dead ball situation, you had different uh, deals in the 80s where a lot of guys were doing drugs. It, is it possible that there would be an opportunity to just say, you know what, we realize that these guys, you know, were on um, – you know, we're on these different, whatever you want to call them, PEDs, drugs, whatever. And uh, that because they're on steroids, we're still going to let them in? Or is it something that you think it's impossible? No, they cheated the game, so they don't get any pass at all. I wonder if well, you'd have, uh, Joe, I wonder if you'd have to uh, make such a uh, uh, a declaration on their plaque somehow. It, it, it could get very awkward. Well, it, it sure could. And I had the good fortune to cover the expansion Tampa Bay Devil Rays as the beat writer uh, during 1998, which was the summer of love, right? And they, you saw the whole thing with uh, McGuire and Sosa and the whole, you know, Homer explosion and, and everything else. Well, one thing that always struck me as curious about that season was that the expansion Devil Rays uh, – had the fourth best earned run average in the American League, and they had a bullpen where if you didn't throw 93, 94 miles an hour, you didn't you didn't crack the the unit. They everybody was throwing gas, and they had a number of of suspected users back then. And this was for an expansion pitching staff, so nobody knew how. I guess the full impact of what was happening. You know, you saw tubs of, of uh, creatine and, and, and things like that uh, in players' lockers, and you thought, well, that's just stuff they can buy over the counter. I guess, uh, you know, nutrition's making great strides and so on and so forth. Until it, be, it, still, it started coming out that, oh, it was a lot more complicated than that. People began to actively question, um, you know, okay, how – yeah, how big an impact has all this happened? There were some unfortunate instances of of young players, not professionals, but amateur players, you know, trying to emulate their heroes and, you know, shooting up and dying uh, from what they thought was just a, a way to keep up. So if you're going to, if you're going to put the finger on individuals like Bonds and Clemens and, and so on, and now A-Rod, then you just have to say, okay, well, if you played ball from 1998 to pick a year, uh, you can, you no matter what, you can't be in the Hall of Fame. You can't do that. So it requires judgment. 
it requires kind of a measured response, I think, instead of a knee jerk. I have a quick question for you. And this is something because Ira, you have a Hall of Fame vote for the NFL. Joe just gave up his Hall of Fame vote for the for baseball. And the difference, there's a difference, of course, and that is that Joe from the baseball side, it's all writers. And on the other side, from Ira, it can be people from the electronic media. It can be others. I often wondered, I mean, there are a number of guys. I, I can't personally fathom someone like a Vin Scully not having a, a Hall of Fame vote. That's just crazy to me. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, And they have expanded the ways that you can get into the Hall of Fame. The, the writers are no longer the sole keepers of the gate. And, and I think part of that was the insistence by some of my former colleagues that uh, they were the sole judge, jury, and, and, and all of that for Hall of Fame guys. Yeah, great players um, in the past not being unanimous votes for the Hall of Fame because a writer here or there decided, no, nobody gets in as a unanimous pick. That was ridiculous. And... You know, a guy like Ken Griffey Jr. this year, I, he was on the last ballot that I voted for, and I wavered over that for about one hundred thousandth of a second before I voted him. It's so obvious that he should be in. And so it is different than football, uh, but then baseball is a different animal. Baseball is 162 games. Writers, the beat writers and those who, who do have votes, are usually people who spend about 150 games a year either traveling with the team, embedded, or they're at the ballpark for for long hours every day. And that that's a lot different than football, wouldn't you say, Ira? Absolutely. And, Jim, another major difference between the Baseball Writers Association and the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee uh, are the bylaws uh, – and I don't know if you know this, Jim, but in baseball, I believe you're allowed to uh, count character and factor it in, whereas uh, they're very specific in pro football. Uh, only what the guy does on the field. And, Jim, uh, you know for a fact that uh, that bylaw actually helped me uh, in making my presentation about Warren Sapp. Uh, right. Because he treated the writers terribly. Uh the guy didn't want to sign autographs for a little five-year-old, uh, and I made the argument that none of that matters. Uh, the real test case, guys, and uh, we'll talk about this on a future show, uh, is a guy like Terrell Owens, who, again, by the numbers, first ballot, no-brainer, but he was a lousy teammate, and he got buried in, in the uh, meeting room last February. I've never seen a guy take a beating like that. Uh, because they talked to his coaches and teammates that uh, said he was a giant distraction. And uh, the argument is that that counts. Uh, it's an extension of the playing field. I happen to agree with that. Uh, but, Jim, there are different criteria uh, mm -hmm. from football and baseball. Absolutely. Hey, gentlemen, um, just wanted to let you know that uh, Shelly Saltman has joined us. Shelly, uh Welcome to the panel. We just had a quick uh, conversation about Alex Rodriguez's retirement today. I was listening and uh, everything that was said by Ira, and uh, I think it's just fascinating. Uh, baseball is a sport I love and follow. Of course, I follow the Red Sox through hell and high water. 
but I'm not intricately involved with uh, the inner workings. But uh, I do know that uh, where I have breakfast many mornings, Pete Rose comes in, and uh, Pete, uh, and what Ira said is true, but Pete did have one of the great, great records, has one of the great records of all time. And yet even now his sour grace in, in relation to Ichiro is, is a bothersome thing. Hey, Jim, one more point I want to make quickly uh, on Rodriguez. Uh, I, I, I take another angle on this, and, you know, the controversy with Clemens, with Rodriguez, uh, to me is another indication of what a remarkable career Derek Jeter had, Joe, in terms of being in that spotlight for two decades, uh, laser focus, New York media everywhere, and basically blemish-free uh, on and off the field. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Well, I, I, would, I, would, I would echo that, Ira, and I would, I would add this. Um, having been around Jeter at least a little bit during that period, I would say that he was one of those rare, rare New York athletes that got to define that city and his time there on his own terms. You just don't see that. Guys get caught up in it. They, get, they worry about the back page. They do this. They do that. Jeter always seemed a little bit above that, and that, that ain't easy in that town, let me tell you. I was just going to say the only other person that I know that handled himself, um, you know, both on and off the field in a in an amazing way under some incredible pressure was Cal Ripken Jr. And, uh, you know, what Cal did as the streak got closer and closer was pretty amazing. And uh, one of the, the most um, phenomenal things, guys, uh, that I saw was um, – Shirley Povich, who was the sports editor of the uh, Washington uh, Post. And uh, Shirley actually covered Lou Gehrig and Cal Ripken Jr. And the thought that you could literally talk to somebody <laughs> in turn and say, you know, and, and you know, it's one thing to make comparisons and not have, you know, history on it, but to, to be able to speak to someone and say, you know, your thoughts about it. And he could tell you that, you know, how the both of them played and how, you know, different in the way they worked. And the whole 10 yards was just an amazing, uh, an amazing thing. And, and to have uh, Shirley be able to watch both, you know, uh, both Gehrig and, and, uh, and Cal Ripken was a pretty amazing situation. You know, Jim, between Povich and uh, Thomas Boswell, uh, yep. you, you've had some, uh, all-time baseball writers in, in your region. Yeah, Thomas is a good guy, and um, and he is never at a loss for telling you how much he does know about baseball. But uh, <laughs> all, kidding, all kidding aside, he's Tom. Tom's a good guy, and uh, and he does he does enjoy the game. Probably uh, of all the things he writes about, that's probably the one thing he he gets the most uh, kick out of doing. Well, it, it ain't bragging if it's true. You know what I mean? Right. That's true. Right. That's true. Now, okay, we got A-Rod on his way out and somebody that we all know and love wanting to get in. So you just wrote a column that uh, you can get on Sports Talk Florida today about the return to baseball after a few years of uh, Tim Tebow. 
Yes, I did. And a lot of people are going to just have a knee-jerk chuckle over Tebow. You know, um, it's like, okay, what's he going to try next? Hockey, you know, <laughs> water polo, what's, what's it going to be? Um, and I, I, as I point out in the column, the odds are phenomenally against him. Let, let's be clear. He's 29 years old, hasn't played competitive baseball for 11 years, and, then, and that was in high school where the general consensus was he was a, a, a really good player, not a great player. He wasn't drafted, and he goes on, and we all know what he did as a quarterback at the University of Florida. However, what makes this story intriguing is that Gary Sheffield, who lives here in Tampa, um, right. has, was working with, the, with Tim in, in the batting cage, posted some video of, of him that's available on YouTube, and I looked at it, and I said, dang, that's not a bad swing he's got. You know, he's, now that's a batting cage swing stipulated. But, the, you know, guy's got a, some tools uh, a certainly competitive athlete, and so on. So, what the probably the best case scenario for for Tebow is maybe an independent league team says, you know, let let's give him a shot. Be great for the box office. Um, same thing, maybe you know, some a major league team with a with a spot to fill in in Class A ball or or Lower A says, you know what. Let, let's throw a bone to one of our minor league owners. Let him let him uh, have Tebow. Um, he's not going to play in the major leagues. Let's just be blunt. At least that's what I thought. Then I started thinking about there was a Ira. You'll remember this guy uh, from the movie The Rookie, Jim Morris, who um, back he was a first round draft pick in 1984. Blew his arm out. He was a pitcher. Fifteen years later, he's coaching high school baseball in Texas. Makes, you know, if you ever saw the movie The Rookie, that's what he's all about. So he, he, he's coaching high school baseball, promises his team if they win district, he'll try out uh, for the majors to fulfill his dream. Well, they do win district. I talked to the scout who actually then <clears throat> scouted him for the Rays because they were the team that eventually signed him. Guy comes in in the rain, has his tryout, and he's throwing 95. They wind up signing him. He appears in in major league games with the Rays and later the Dodgers. So didn't have a great career, obviously, but he made it. So could Tebow do that? Probably not, but don't rule it out. Well, if I'm the Jacksonville I'm trying to get on the phone and get and get him in the ballpark and say, you know what, I'll sell out this place for a while. But uh, I don't you know, know, Jim, Jim, I yeah. look at I, him as um, he's one of the more polarizing sports figures we've seen. Shelley, I'm sure you agree uh, that's come down the pike in, in the last couple of decades. Uh, but I've long maintained no matter what you think of him uh, as, a, as a football player, uh, I just I didn't like the glee that it was apparent to me that uh, the Tebow detractors had uh, in putting them down. I, I thought it was disproportionate. Uh, he's not the worst quarterback I've ever seen in the National Football League. Uh, he beat a good Steelers defense in, in a shootout in a playoff game uh, for Denver. Uh, he's not the worst. 
But people go out of their way to bury this guy. Uh, he's got charisma. Uh, I'd be interested if uh, if uh, Shelley thinks that uh, Tebow has a future. I don't know in movies or, or or something like that because no matter what, there, there's a lot of interest in this guy. Well, you know, interesting. You should mention that. And I wanted to ask Ira a question because I'm not a baseball aficionado as you guys are, but uh, Ira. Before I answer him in relation to my feeling vis-a-vis Tebow, uh, how about this experiment as compared to Michael Jordan years ago? How would you stack that up? Well, I think um, I think both guys uh, were a long shot. Joe's right. He's not going to play in the major leagues. Jordan did, I think, by virtue of his name alone. Uh, if it wasn't Jordan, he never would have got that far. Uh, I don't think I don't think it was a publicity stunt for Jordan. Uh he felt he needed another mountain, uh another hill to conquer. Uh with Tebow, I, I think it could be agent driven. Uh I didn't feel that way about Jordan. Well Thank you. um let me jump in here. I, I actually covered Jordan during his spring training tryout with the White Sox. Um I recall uh comparing his the sound of the ball coming off his bat to that of a two-bright peach hitting the sidewalk. And <laughs> it was, he goes on, plays double-A baseball with the Birmingham Barons. I actually got to see him in a game when they played over in Orlando. Uh, he played like one season for them, hit 210, I think it was, um, struck out 140-some times, stole 30 bases, man had some speed. Um committed 11 errors, I believe it was. I'm not trying to go stat geek on you here, but he wasn't very good, and he knew that. And so, as I recall, the White Sox, there was some talk that, well, maybe they'll bring him up in September when the rosters expand, and Jordan wouldn't wouldn't have it. He says, no, I'm not going to go be a sideshow. He really wanted to make it in baseball, and he found out that being a great athlete or a great basketball player does not translate necessarily to being even a, a moderate, moderately competent professional baseball player. It's a totally different game. So that brings us back to Tebow. Could he do it? No. I wish he could. I, I think the guy is phenomenal. Uh, I am definitely in, not a Tebow hater. Got to covering many times when he was at the University of Florida. Uh, Ira, you referred to uh, how he's a polarizing figure. I think that says more about the people who are polarized than it does him. You know, I think his faith definitely factors into some of that. And I think in Tebow's case, what you see is what you get, and I like what I see. But I still don't think he's going to make it as a baseball player. Guys, we're going to come out. Go ahead. I was just going to say, we're going to come back in a minute. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Shelly wants to answer Ira's question about whether or not he's got a career. Obviously, he's done well on television with ESPN and the uh, and the uh, SEC Network. But first, right here on the Sunshine Boys uh, Sports Podcast, we're going to have to take a break, let the wheels of commerce turn, and we will be right back right after these words. And we're right back with the uh, Sunshine Boys Sports Podcast. Today, we have Ira Hoffman, 
Joe Henderson and from out on the West Coast, Shelley Saltman. Um, gentlemen, we were talking Tim Tebow before, and I would ask uh, Shelley about the, the possible career, be it movies or whatever, beyond uh, sports for uh, Tim Tebow. Shelley, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have qu quite a bit. But first, uh, I want to go with what, along with Joe said. I uh, personally, as a human being, have, have been a very, very big fan of uh, Tim Tim Tebow as a person, of course, and I'm not of the same faith. So faith or anything doesn't enter into it. I think this is a class guy, 100%. Now, moving on from that, uh, I have a couple of friends. I live in the desert in the winter, in California, Palm Desert, uh, near Palm Springs, and I have these two very dear friends, Frank and Carol. Like me, they're octogenarians, but every Saturday during football season, they put on their blue and orange and they are hermits. You can't see them till Saturday ends. Uh, I talk to them a lot. And one of the subjects is Tim Tebow. And I, I just don't understand, and I've often said this to my associates at the NFLPA, why Tebow has not been given more of a chance. To me, Tebow has always been a winner. Yeah, he doesn't throw like other quarterbacks, and yeah, he maybe runs a little bit too much. But I thought he had that one quality called heart and uh, that. Now, as to uh, uh, television or, or uh, motion pictures, absolutely. He's got a charisma. He's likable. He's warm. And more than sports, I've seen him take a couple of tests, and the man can act. So does he have a future? It all takes one man, one lady, one person to give him a break, and I would say he does. Look at uh, the kid from Cornell years ago, and I'm, he was in uh, Ed Marinaro. Oh my goodness, Eddie Ed Marinaro. He Eddie broke Marinaro. all kinds of records, 3,000-plus yards that year. Eddie took lessons and so forth and became a heck of an actor, and he worked on uh, Hill Street Blues That's right. for many, many years, and he had a good career. So I put Tebow into that character. Ed, by the way, was also a class guy, and I knew him very well. Uh, I hope that answers your question. That's how I feel. It's a personal opinion. Yeah, it's a it's a good uh, it's a good analogy because Marinero did uh, come out of the NFL and uh, he had the good looks and he had the chops and uh, and clearly he did have a good career. And, Jim, uh, Jim, um, Jim, yeah. am I wrong or, or did it does it strike uh, you, you three guys that 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 people still they go out of their way uh, to demean. Tebow as a quarterback, and I don't, I don't quite understand it. Well, I'm with you, Joe. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't quite understand um, the blowback on Tebow, and and it gives me yet another reason to not like John Elway, and um, the way they set him up, because they, I mean, look, the fix was in. We knew that. We knew that Elway wanted Manning, and he couldn't have Tebow and Manning at the same time. So rather than trade him to Jacksonville or try to get him to a team where in the state of Florida, where there's no question he would have been a, uh, a draw, they end up try shopping him to New York, which was a total disaster. And so, no, I, I don't think, uh, I think a lot of the coaches, a lot of the owners were put off by the, um, the situation of, of his faith, quite frankly, and they want to know part of him. And, and I, I, you know, I don't understand why I've seen a lot of guys who aren't anywhere near as talented as Tim, who, you know, are still in the league 
But uh, well, let's go to the Denver Broncos, Jimmy. Yep. Um, yep. Jim, Jimmy, I may get in. Look at the Denver Broncos right now. Mark Sanchez is playing for them. Mark has not been a winning quarterback, and yet he's starting the season. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and let me let me jump in here for a second and and think about something Jim just said. And it sums up the whole Tebow phenomenon. All right, he's too popular to be on a team. Think about that. Now you know people would be excited. They would they would buy Tebow jerseys. They would they would come to every practice they could. It would be a phenomenon. And you think about some of the downtrodden NFL teams in this league, and then you think about a quarterback who is certainly we'll all we'll all concede he's not a classic uh, quarterback in the NFL sense, but the guy has competed at a very high level. He won a national championship. He won a Heisman Trophy. He led a team that was sinking fast. He took over the Broncos, led them to a playoff berth, and won a playoff game. And he's a pariah. Nobody, you know, teams won't touch him because fans want him so much. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more, Ira. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the late John Mackey, whom you all remember, was one of my dearest, dearest friends. And he always said that uh, any quarterback, any quarterback can be good if you have a good offensive line in front of them. Well, the Broncos didn't have the best offensive line the year he took them to the playoffs, and he still was a winner. And I agree with everything you just said. No, there's really, no yeah. He really willed that team. Uh, and, you know, Pittsburgh's back then, they were known for defense, and they had a good one. And I believe he put up 31 points. Uh, and, and won in overtime uh, on a beautiful pass. On a pass, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, know. that's the irony. The last, the last major thing that Tim Tebow did in the National Football League was throw a pass to win a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yet he right. can't pass. <laughs> Crazy. So I mean, uh, the the answer here is clearly uh, NFL teams look at a guy who has. Big game experience, tough as nails, has has won a playoff game as the quarterback, and they're going, nah, you know, we'd rather have Mark Sanchez. Well, you, and, and you, here's you the irony, Joe. He's a, the irony, Joe, is he's a character guy. Well, how how often do we hear that, right? How often? Yeah. Well, we we only take character guys. You can't yeah. oh, if unless Mother Teresa played football, you're not <laughs> you're not going to get a better person than Tim Tebow. Character. I, I I think she had a tryout, but her forty time was a little slow. I'm, that's what I heard. No, she couldn't pass as well as Tim. <laughs> no. Oh, little goodness. short, but nevertheless. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, we uh, we talked we about an Olympic. We do have an Olympics going on, James. We do. We do indeed. We do. Uh, and Mr. Phelps. And one of the great moments yesterday, guys. I'm glad you brought up the Olympics. Is this young lady from Stanford? an African-American who won. What she did is probably, with all of Phelps, and he's magnificent, he's unbelievable, and Ledecky is unbelievable, and the kid Simone Biles is unreal. But what this kid accomplished, uh, I, this girl from, uh, uh, from uh, Stanford is the first African-American to win a gold medal in the Olympics, and that 
is something. I think her name was Suzanne Manuel, and she's at Stanford. She's bright, and we'll be hearing from her probably in life, uh, whether it's politics or social or whatnot. This kid's going to make a dent. Well, and, you know, going to Stanford, there's a uh, – what is Ledecky, is Ledecky at Stanford too? Who's um, who's the other girl who uh, is well, a – Was it Missy Franklin? But she – I think Missy Franklin went to Stanford. I'm not sure yeah. though. So there's there's uh that's a they've got a pretty powerful swim team out there but yeah there's yeah, been... Simone Simone Manuel's a great story I, mm-hmm. I concur um, just you know magnetic personality just mm-hmm. it shines through phenomenal athlete however I am going to say that I think I, I've said it before and I'm going to reinforce this with Michael Phelps we are seeing arguably the greatest Olympian of all time. And I don't think anybody I, disagrees. I, I think don't, that's, uh, well, I don't, I don't give that kudo out lightly. And what he has done, you know, we talk, to me that goes in the category of DiMaggio's hit streak and, you know, Williams batting 406 and, and all of the rest because we aren't going to see this again. Yeah, soak it in, folks. Nobody's going to come along and break that record. I really don't believe they will. And Joe, he's given away, uh, he's given away 10 years to these competitors. I was all geeked up about this race, uh, Shelly, this 200 meters, and uh, it, it turned into a blowout. There wasn't any suspense in that race. Yeah, by the way, speaking of the 200 meters, my heart goes out to this kid, Friedman, who's the announcer for the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Did you hear about that? Uh, he mislabeled us. The, 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 the yeah, he thought Lochte was the winner, and he called the race all the way Lochte, 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 Lochte. And then Oops. at the end, when they announced it was Phelps, uh, at least he had the courtesy and the demeanor and the class to say, hey, guys, I blew it. But, that's you know, we've all uh, broadcast at one point or another. I certainly have done some play-by-play in my time. And, uh, boy, that was a big one, but he was a class the way he handled it. Poor guy. But no. you're right about no, Phelps, happens. getting off his stuff. You're right about Phelps. He is, uh, he is one in a zillion, not a million, a zillion. And we, at least not certainly not in my lifetime, you guys are younger than me, I don't think in anybody's lifetime we'll see a repeat of what this man has done and the way he's done it. You know, funny well, thing. And, and, and I love his swagger yeah. in the pool at the end. He's, he's you know, yeah. he, he got challenged. Yeah. And so he did the the swimming equivalent of hanging on the rim after he dunked. <laughs> and That's, true. The, That's true. With the death stare the other night in the locker room. He gave you know, the, 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 they tugged the, on Superman's cape, and, and he showed him what for. He, he gave the Dikembe Mutombo, you know, finger of one finger, not here, not now. Uh, but, yeah, exactly. But, it's, but, I mean, the one thing last night, guys, during the race, they stopped the Ravens game. They put it on the screen. Oh, yeah, right. I saw that. The entire yeah. stadium went nuts. Wow. As well, he is from Baltimore, is he not, Jimmy? Yes, he, he is. And he's a, he's a, a Ravens season ticket holder. Huh. And uh, as a matter of fact, Joe and Ira and Shelly, you guys have all been to Orioles games. There's a, a tradition during the national anthem when they come to O, say, can you see, they, they elongate the O. And so what happened was when he was on the, uh, got the gold medal the other night, Monday night, I believe it was, or Tuesday night, he's standing on the, uh, he's standing on the podium 
and he could hear the guys in that came to the Olympics from Baltimore singing. And when they went, oh, they, they elongated the O and it broke him up. So he started laughing on the, uh, on the podium and people were looking at him like, what the heck is, you know, laughing. And afterwards he apologized. He said, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, didn't mean to laugh. It just happened that I heard my guys from Baltimore, you know, at the other end of the pool, you know, during the talking uh, about phonetics, Jimmy, Yeah. this morning on the today show, his son Boomer was on the show and he gave his father two goos. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not hey, bad. Shelly, uh, Shelly, one quick point on what you said about that, uh, that that Canadian broadcaster. I think it's an important one. Uh, he apologized. He didn't make any excuses. And there was a big gaffe. And remember, guys, that Steve Harvey disaster oh, yeah. uh, with the Miss oh, Universe yeah. thing? And that was a big yep. one. You can't get much yep. bigger than that as an announcer. Uh, they're putting the crown on the wrong person's head and this and that. And it was a shocker. But what did he do? He he apologized. He he said he took, you know, all the blame. And, you know, Shelly, you've been in this business a long time. If you, uh, if you fall on your sword quickly, we will forget and we will forgive. You know, it's, Ira, you're so right. Ira, Joe, and Jimmy, uh, years ago, I learned that self-deprecation is a winner. Now, that may sound strange, but if a man admits his mistake, or a woman, people are ready to forgive and they move on. And that's exactly right. I agree with you 100%. Did Donald Trump ever learn that lesson? That's right, Joe. Donald who? I've never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, you know, uh... I wish i never heard of him. I, yeah, you bring up a subject. I, uh, Jimmy and I have talked about this many times. Um, I uh, was part of a group that had made arrangements to buy the Chicago uh, team in the USFL and move them to Hawaii, where I was the uh, Hawaii state of Hawaii sports and television consultant at the time. And so it was the end of the uh, third year. They had the uh, State of the Union meeting in Newark, New Jersey at a hotel, and I was invited to be there as an auditor. And I uh, literally... Uh, sat, oh, I don't know, about uh, 20 feet from uh, Donald Trump in a back row because I didn't have the right to speak. Well, uh, I don't know if you know what happened. Uh, Donald got up, Harry Usher, who was the, uh, who was the uh, commissioner, dear friend, may he rest in peace, and he called the meeting order, and Donald said, wait, before we go, I will have something to say, and I really need a vote. So Harry said, go ahead, Mr. Trump. And he said, gentlemen, he said, I didn't join this league and put my money in the New Jersey Generals and get you Herschel Walker uh, without hoping that one day we would go head-to-head -head with the NFL. And we can't go into the better stadiums and so forth and so on. And uh, I want this to be the best league, and I can make it, same, same verbiage we're hearing now, I can make it the best league ever. And I believe we should sue the NFL on the Sherman Antitrust Law because they're preventing us from going into the best stadiums. Well, five of these idiots, all very wealthy builders, insurance men, uh, they agreed. And so they took a vote and they went and they uh, sued the NFL and I was there in the courtroom and they won. They absolutely won. And they got a judgment of $3, you may remember, and treble damages. And that was the end of the league. That's my personal experience with Donald Trump. And it seems to me and this is not political, it seems to me it's the same modus operandi 
as he vies for the uh, presidency of the United States. Just a, a summation of a human being. Make football great again. Yeah. It's that basically, a... he actually used the words, we can make football great again. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, hey, guys, one question. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, he's been interviewed a zillion times, and I was thinking about this. Uh, if I sat down with him as a journalist, I, I got a very simple question, and I don't believe he's ever been asked this. And I think it would be very telling what his response is. Here's my question. When was the last time, in your opinion, America was great? When was it? Um, would, he can't say George Bush because he's killing the guy about the Iraq war. So... He's never going to pick a democratic uh, regime. He might have to go back to Reagan. But, Joe, you don't know who he'll pick because he doesn't know who he's going to pick from one moment to the next. (laughs) Think about it. No, I think in Trump's case, it would probably be somewhere back in the 50s. I think that was uh... (laughs) – I I, I say that because if you look at the people who are iconic to him, most of them came up in the 50s and the early 60s. I mean, that's yeah. really – those are the guys who are, are you know, considered as mentors or whatever back when his father was, you know, in Queens and didn't uh, – you know, basically didn't cross over into Manhattan. I think, uh, you know, those are, those are situations where I think he got his roots and uh, realized that uh, he was a Queens guy and talks like a Queens guy. And um, – you know, I, I guess that that's probably it. But you know, moving on to um, preseason slash exhibition slash, <laughs> we only have two games a year coming up soon. Um, football. Uh, I guess this is the first full week of um, or weekend, I should say, of uh, of the league. And you know, after is it really? I know we talked about before. But how important is preseason football to uh, to the league? I guess. Well, it, it's uh, it's part of the money making uh, apparatus, guys. Because right. if you're a season ticket holder, you, you get yeah. stuck with these two home games um, at full price, guys. And anybody right. anybody who watched the Bucks Eagles game, and uh, I'm. I'm you know, I'm uh, embarrassed to admit I, I watched a good part of it. Uh, it's a debacle. It's awful. Terrible football. Uh, penalties galore. Uh, drop balls everywhere. Uh, you know, these teams aren't ready. And, um, and yet those, uh, those poor saps in the seats, guys, paying full price. Uh, I, I think it's an embarrassment for the league. Hey, Shelly, what's it like out in Los Angeles with the Rams back in town? Boy, I'll tell you, tonight they're going to have, I'm excuse me, Saturday night, they're going to have maybe 90,000 people at the Coliseum. And uh, they won't have that during the, during the season. They'll dress it to where it's about 65,000. But uh, people are very, very enthusiastic. And uh, this, this market should have another team. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. As amazing it may be, Jim, to answer your question, Yes. As amazing as it may be, uh, with all the available entertainment in the community, baseball, movies, theaters, etc., uh, this this community is hungry for football. And uh, in fact, when I moved out here from the East Coast, 
I couldn't believe that I was going to watch a game at 10 o'clock in the morning because to me, right. you know, when I was a kid, I was an usher at the Harvard games. I thought Harvard was the best football in the world, and maybe back then it was because, you know, it was in the 40s and the 50s. Anyway, that being said, the people here are hungry, and I hope that unlike the Dodgers, the Rams will not uh, do a blackout by selling it to one of the cable systems, even though I was on the other side as a cable owner. So you answer. I hope I answered you. I, I think this yeah. is a, a hot yeah. sports town, and I don't think they ever should have left. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the next uh, shoe to drop about, uh, about talking about the second team is what happens to the Chargers. If the Chargers stay in San Diego, then, uh, as I understand it, um, the Raiders have second uh, have second choice of – I guess joining Stan Kroenke in the, in what would be the new stadium at the uh, out by uh, uh, the new stadium. Where's it going to be, Shelley? Is it going to be in? Well, it's right right near where I used to work. It's going to be right next to the Forum. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, taking over the uh, old Hollywood uh, Park, the racetrack site, right. and it and it will be beautiful, and it's it will be a great venue and all that. But you know, one of the reasons, and this is Olympic season. Uh, we were successful in 1984 in the Olympics is because we had most of the venues. Now, uh, the NFL, uh, you know, they're going to get another stadium. And, and uh, our dear friend Evan Weiner, who's a wonderful writer, you guys may know him, uh, sports business, uh, he uh, has talked about it. And I'm a firm believer that the cities cough up all this money and they really don't benefit that much. So, uh, but it'll be successful and they don't really need a new venue. They can play in the Coliseum with a little upgrading and so forth, but that's the way it goes. Yep. Ira, did uh, do you think that uh, that San Diego is going to get to the stadium that they're looking well, for? Well, I think what's interesting, Jim and and, and Joe saw this happen in, in Tampa, um, where there was uh, some doubt whether Raymond James would would ever get built, and if it didn't, uh, I believe it's true the Bucks were going to skip out of town. Uh, maybe to your town, Jim. Uh, but, you know, selling the public now uh, on pouring money in, into a stadium with, with billionaire owners, it's becoming a tougher sell. Uh, it used to be uh, fairly automatic. Oh, we don't want to lose the team. Uh, we, You know, we got to back the referendums. Uh, Joe, I, I think the tide's turning a little bit, and we're seeing it in San Diego and Oakland, what once, maybe seemed like uh, a no-brainer, uh, is a very, very tough sell. Well, they've been talking about a new stadium in San Diego for, what, 12, 13, 14 years now. Yeah. And the there's still no resolution. That there's lots of deep, deep problems between ownership and uh, the, the local governing bodies out there. Um, so... I would say that the odds of them getting a stadium are probably, uh, I would put it at less than 50%. Having said that, I hope they can work something out because the Chargers belong in San Diego. That's their team. And, you know, the Raiders, they're they're kind of vagabond anyway. Um, and they play in, in what, in, in my opinion, is an absolutely terrible venue. Horrible. So um, It is. You know, I would say I wouldn't grieve as much for the city of Oakland if if the Raiders left um, just because of the style of ownership there and, and the, 
the, the history of that franchise. But I sure hope the Chargers don't move. I, I just think that would be fundamentally wrong. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, first of all, it's in a great location in San Diego. It really is. It's easy to get to. There's adequate parking, and it's right off Route 5 and Route 8, and there's nothing wrong with that stadium. I also agree with you about Oakland. It was bad when we had the USFL playing up there. It, it's, a, it's antiquated. There, they do need a stadium. Uh, they need a stadium that's adequate for the health of the players because there's a lot of problems with that stadium. And uh, San Diego, I can't figure them out. I, I, of course, created the Andy Williams San Diego Golf Open down there, and I work with officials all the time. And uh, I don't understand why there's a problem because money should not be spent, I believe, money should not be spent, especially in this day and age with the economy the way it is, on a frivolous thing, and I do call it frivolous, as a, as a stadium, especially when there's a viable stadium there. I, I just, I, you know, I'm a former owner in various things, a couple of different leagues, and it boggles my mind. Well, you know, it boils down to the ability, something Mark Cuban said, and Mark said, I don't need fans. I got fans. I need customers and partners, and meaning that he needed um, corporate suites. He needed corporate money involved. And unfortunately, what's gone on in stadium situations these days is how many luxury boxes can we get? We need to get uh, a certain amount of corporate involvement. I mean, I can't tell you how stupid the city of Atlanta and that whole area is for ripping down the Georgia Dome and building, you know, yet another Arthur Blanc, Blank, um, Arthur right. Blank billions dollar stadium. And then the, the Braves moving out to uh, Gwinnett, out that area. And that's crazy. There was an Olympic stadium built for uh, in 90, in 96 and out there. And it's like, now there's uh you know, now it's it's going to go the way of the uh, of the old uh, uh, Fulton County Stadium. So I mean, it's crazy that these things last. Look at Miami. Miami had the uh, where the Heat opened in in '88. That building's gone, and now they've got the American Airlines Arena. Well, the same so, thing uh, in Orlando with the the original Orlando Arena. Right. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, oh, we got to have a bigger arena. You know, you mentioned corporate support, and I'll be real quick because I think we're running short here. Yeah, but yeah. if if it's all about the corporate support, right? We all yep. know that. Fine, mm -hmm. let the corporations build them a stadium. Taxpayers shouldn't have to do it. Just so you know, you know uh, in Washington, on what you're talking about, Joe, the stadium in Washington, the way it was built, Anthony uh, Williams was the mayor, and he was actually an economist, which was odd, but that's another conversation for another day. The way he set it up is he picked a... It's, it was a three-pronged plan. A third of the money would come from the corporate community in the Washington, D.C. area. A third of the money would come from the team paying rent on the stadium. And a third of the building of the stadium would come on a user's tax that would be on the tickets of the people buying tickets to go to the game. So everything sure. about the stadium was predicated on the business community supporting the stadium, the team, in essence, paying their fair share of the rent to keep the stadium going. And then the final element was a tax being used by the, play by the people who bought tickets to play 
to go see the games being played at the stadium. It's a very unique triad to make it work. And if it weren't for a gentleman by the name of Bob Peck, who ran the, um, who ran the business community here in the greater Washington area, it wouldn't have pulled off. And not only did they do it that way for building a stadium, they built an $800 million convention center exactly using the same template. Jimmy, if I may, if we're running short, just cut me out. But uh, as you know, in 1971, 72, I, I, I worked for Jack Ken Cook, whom you know, sure. in mm -hmm. Washington uh, at the Forum. And today, uh, Phil Anschutz, who owns Staples Center, is my partner in the race I created called the uh, Amgen, the bike race, Amgen Tour of California. And I love the Forum, just as I love the old sports arena. And it wasn't so old. And there was nothing wrong with it, but it didn't have enough seats, couldn't bring in enough money, and so forth and so on. But what we had in those days with the Forum and with the sports arena, okay, so they only sat 16,000 or 17,000, but we had a closeness to the athlete. We could see them. Today in Staples Center and all these other megapolises, uh, you don't have the intimacy that a sports venue should have where you can enjoy the game as much. In fact, I resigned uh, in 1972 after we had the great year where they won 33 games uh, because Jack Ken Cook was raising the prices on the floor to $100 uh, the next year. And I said, Mr. Cook, this is ridiculous. For a family of four, popcorn, parking, et cetera, they can't afford this. The guy works, and he works to get his ticket to enjoy the pleasure of a game. And he said, Sheldon, he said, you're wrong. Someday these seats will be worth $150. Well, he was wrong and I was wrong. Today, they're about a thousand bucks. And that's what's happened to sports. Sports has gone away from the fan who, who deserves it and enjoys it the most. And I'm one of the old fashioned guys that said, where did it go? Well, no question about that. It's, it's definitely gotten priced out. I'll tell you what, guys, we're coming to the end of the Sunshine Boys Sports Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. Our guests, of course, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson and Shelly Saltman joining us from Los Angeles. Uh, guys, I'll tell you what. Uh, final thoughts. What are you going to watch this weekend? And we'll start with Ira. What's uh, what should what should people be tuning into? What are you going to be watching this weekend? James, I don't want to be labeled a hypocrite because the other day I closed that uh, I'm not into the Olympics. However, uh, there have been so many extraordinary performances led by Mr. Phelps and uh, some of the women, that uh, as track and field heats up, uh, I think I'm going to be all over it. So I'm, I'm wavering a little bit. Uh, I didn't want to watch beach volleyball, uh, but things are cooking out in Rio. There doesn't seem to be um, as many scandals in Rio as I envisioned. Uh, so I'm all about the Olympics this weekend. Cool. How about you, Jeff? Oh, it's Olympics. Um, it's you know, it, it's still the Olympics, and, and like, you know, people can say, well, I'm not into it, I'm not into this or that. How can you not get swept up in this stuff? And it's it's only for another week, and then, you know, we'll still have exhibition football at that point, <laughs> not preseason, not some made-up marketing word. It's exhibitions. And, you know, the baseball races will be heating up. We'll see if Alex Rodriguez stays uh, retired or whatever 
stays released, I guess, even. Uh, but for this weekend, definitely, I'm all in Olympics. Bill, are you going to make it three for three? Or are you going to watch the Olympics this well, weekend? Well, pretty close to three for three. got to watch the Red Sox. But uh, other than that, I'll be watching Ursa Invade. I happen to like track and field. And just as, you know, you're right, Joe, uh, Ira. Uh, I didn't want to see Olympics because I've been too jaded because, you know, of my involvement with the Olympics over the years and some of the things I know. But it is the Olympics, and it is exciting. One thing, though, before we go, uh, one of the sad things is they call it Poop Bay. Have you guys been hearing about that and the bacterial oh, yeah. infections of yeah. the sailors and so forth? Well, anyway, I'm with you. Olympics this weekend. I'll make it a, I'll make it a sweep uh, and ask for unanimous consent uh, that we definitely will be watching the Olympics this weekend. Uh, one last quick thing across the board here. Ira, how can we... Uh, uh, how can we follow you on social media? You can, uh, you can hit me up, Jim, on Twitter, uh, at iKaufman76. Uh, and uh, I'm going to keep those columns going for Sports Talk Florida. And uh, one quick aside, Jimmy, uh, you and I going head-to-head this weekend as, uh, as your birds uh, go out to uh, San Francisco and play my Giants. Let's see what I'm happens. a Nationals fan, so. Ah, there you go. But I'll tell you what, for this weekend, I'll watch it just, uh, you know, for, and I love Bruce Bochy, so, uh, but I'll, uh, and I like Show Walter too. So I'll, I'll watch it just in your honor, Ira. Thank you, buddy. You got it. Joseph, go ahead. Well, you can reach me on Twitter uh, at the initial J Henderson, Tampa, T-A-M-P-A, or you can find me on Facebook at uh, Joe Henderson commentary columns and such. Uh, I'll post some political stuff on there, but I'll also post what I write for Sports Talk Florida. And I know Shelly is very prolific writer for us on Sports Talk Florida. And Shelly, anything that we should be looking out from, uh, from you that though, uh, you well, want Well, I'm on a kick uh, right now. Uh, the column I'm writing that will be out will be posted, I guess, next week, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, has to do with fans. I've been on a kick about fans, good fans, bad fans. And in my little town that I live, uh, the judge handed down a $800,000 uh, judgment against a man who sucker punched a, uh, a fellow coach, the opposite coach, at a, uh, at a recent uh, youth baseball game. So um, that's my subject. And besides sports talk, you can reach me on asportsscrapbook.com. Cool. Well, Shelly, thanks very much. Joe Henderson, thank you. Ira Kaufman, thank you as well. We hope that you've enjoyed this edition of the Sunshine Boys Sports Podcast. You can listen to it, of course, on sportstalkflorida.com or blogtalkradio.com. We look forward to catching you next time. Again, thanks to Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and of course, Shelly Saltman. You can read all their stuff at sportstockflorida.com. Thanks very much. Have a good weekend. We'll catch you next week.